Keep your Bibles where they should be. Daniel 6, verse 10, that is going to be our text for this morning. And just a reminder and a refresher course because we, some of you have been serving in kids and all that and weren't here last week and maybe even the week before or whatever, but just want to get you up to speed a little bit. We've been looking at the Lion's Den narrative in chapter 6, and so far we have examined Daniel's exaltation, his rise, if you will, and how King Darius promoted him to the highest positions in that kingdom, Medo-Persia, and how this caused fear and jealousy among Daniel's peers, the other high officials and satraps. We also looked at, that was like a couple of weeks ago, and last week we looked at Daniel's adversaries, his enemies, how the high officials, his peers, and the satraps conspired against him and drafted, came together and drafted an ordinance. Um, They knew it was a law. They drafted an ordinance. They knew he would break because it pit him against the law of his God. They knew he would err on the side of breaking the man-made law. And they did this knowing that he would do that. And hopefully that would lead to his removal from office and execution being thrown into the lion's den. The ordinance was a kingdom-wide 30-day restriction on petitioning God or prayer. For one month, the people of Medo-Persia would only be allowed to pray to King Darius. And as I said last week, uh, some kings back in those days in some of those kingdoms were considered like a god, a demigod, if you will. The pharaohs were considered to be a god, Uh, Even uh, some of the Roman emperors were thought of and to be worshipped as a god. So this ordinance said for 30 days you cannot pray to any other god than King Darius. And if you were caught doing that, praying to other gods, you would be what? Executed via being eaten alive in a lion's den. The high officials and satraps, Daniel's adversaries persuaded Darius to sign the ordinance into law, and at that point it became irrevocable. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at Daniel's determination. Should be up on the screen. I'd like to pray uh, before we actually get to work. Father, we humble ourselves now and ask that you speak to us. You've been speaking to us since we got here, basically, but we ask that you would speak to us through your word, through the scripture, through this verse today, that you would encourage us, challenge us, embolden us, uh, correct us where we need correcting. Just give us the things and the tools that we need to honor and glorify you in this pluralistic secular culture that we live in, which is just like Babylon, which is just like Medo-Persia. So we ask today, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit to equip us, equip the saints for the ministry of the gospel. Give us the, uh, not a, and you haven't given us a spirit of timidity, but we pray that you would embolden us and give us courage today as we take a stand for you in our culture. So receive all the glory and praise and anything good that comes from this sermon. We pray that, I pray that these folks in this room and whoever listens to it online in the future, if anyone does, would glorify you and come to love Jesus more and desire to make him known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little coffee. You guys ready to go? You going to take a few notes?
pretty simple stuff today. It's only a verse, and uh, I don't know. I'm hoping that it's very, very practical. So the definition of determination is, is pretty simple. You know, if you were to quiz the room, I think everyone in here would have an idea of what it means to be determined or what determination means. And just in case, it means to have an unwavering mind... Uh, it means to be resolute or resolved to do something in particular. It can mean to be firm, like you're not wavering, you're going back and forth, you're determined, you're resolved, you are firm in what you are desiring to do, what you are attempting to do. And what we see in verse 10 is a total and absolute example of determination coming from Daniel. That's what we see here. He was determined to petition or pray to his God despite the fact that it was now illegal to do so and that he could suffer death for doing so if he were caught. So there's the determination. This guy, you know, there's an ordinance that goes out and he is determined to keep worshiping and, and praying to his God regardless, irrespective of the law, if you will. Now... You must understand that it wasn't because Daniel uh, didn't care about the laws of Medo-Persia. Uh, we don't want to think of him as a rebel or as a protester, which we see a lot of today. Uh, we don't want to think of him as an anarchist, someone who turns against the government and the laws of the land or what have, what have you. He was not any of those things. He was not at all. He had respect for the laws of the land. He was a, a law-abiding citizen, if you will. And, and we know this to be true because he would not have climbed the ladder and made it to the highest positions in Darius's kingdom if he had been an anarchist, right? I mean, if, if every time the guy was up for a promotion and he just spoke against the laws of the land and this is garbage and this is trash and I'm not going to do it, do you think he would have gotten very far? He probably would have been thrown into the lion's den a long time ago. He probably would have been beheaded or something. So he was a law-abiding citizen. He did his best to respect and honor the laws of the land. And in, in doing so, he sets an example for us. We do the best we can with what legislation produces. And I think it's getting tougher and tougher in our day, right? Because they're coming up with some crazy stuff. We would say that Daniel obeyed Medo-Persian law to the best of his ability. What he wasn't willing to do is compromise the law of the Lord. That's the one thing that he was not willing to do. He was willing to and desired to obey the law of the Lord even if it meant compromising the law of the land. The law of the Lord, if you will, was more important to him. The authority for him in his life was the Scripture. It was the Mosaic Law. It was the Bible, if you will. So his highest authority wasn't Darius, even though he treated him as a high authority. It wasn't the law of the land, even though he did his best to respect the law of the land. His highest authority was God and was the law of God, or if you will, the Word of God. And what Daniel did, I just realized, I said, if you will, and apparently my family has picked up on that. And every time I preach, they say, you said, if you will, like 90 times in your sermon. 
They just, I'm like, did you hear anything else? All you heard was if you will. We're not getting anywhere. But if you will, I'm just going to say it to annoy him now. Daniel responded in this situation with this determination, with this resolute attitude. He responded in the precise way that every follower of Jesus, that every believer is expected to respond when the laws of the land say, violate the law of God. Okay, do I need to reread that to you? What we see here is Daniel responding. He's determined to obey the law of the Lord above all other law. He compromises the law of the land to uphold the law of God. What we see is him setting an example for every Christian. This is exactly what we are to do if we find ourselves in a scenario like this. Christians are to uphold the law of God and violate the law of the land if they have to, to uphold the law of God. He sets an example right here. Now, I tell you, maybe some of you are saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. If it, we, don't we have to submit to authority? Don't you know? Well, of, of course we do, but who is our ultimate authority and which authority do we submit to firstly? God, not the law of the land or politicians or anything else or judges or anything else. So he sets an amazing example here for us. He disobeyed the law of the land in order to keep obeying the law of God. And I tell you, I could preach this sermon in front of probably a thousand different people and many claiming to be Christ, and Christians would have such difficulty with this. They would just not agree. And I don't understand how, but they would not agree with what I'm saying. And I think it's clearly illustrated in Scripture. Uh, I just want to give you a nice parallel example to something that, that just happened within a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was in 2015, maybe toward the beginning of the year. I don't remember the exact date, but I'm, I'm sure you're all familiar with what happened in 2015, and that's when the Supreme Court decided to analyze the Constitution and find in it a provision for gay marriage. <laughs> it's amazing what you can read into a document. It's amazing what we tend to read into Scripture. I found support for my sin. Look at this. No, you didn't. So everyone, if you put, could, could put your hand up, if you're familiar with what happened in 2015 with that ruling, kind of rocked our nation. There, it, I mean, it created division, and there were people in support of it and people opposed to it, and there were people like me going, I, I didn't know that the Supreme Court is a legislative branch that makes law. <laughs> it's not why they're there. So an amazing thing happened in 2015. Now, so here's the example. Shortly after the ruling, we were introduced to a gal named Kim Davis. Anyone heard of that name? Kim Davis. You've heard of who she is. Okay. She is the county clerk for Rowan County, uh, Kentucky, who gained international attention in August of 15, so basically middle of the year, when she defied a U.S. federal court order to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Starting to ring a bell now? Kim Davis? She's that gal that did that. Now, if you know how the story played out, the scenario went, what happened to her? She was thrown into jail for not complying with the newly written and approved law, right? 
And, and here's the deal. One of the things that I noticed at that time, because I, I, I always expect, whether it be on Facebook or any, in any of the media, I always expect unbelievers to criticize Christians for doing what they do. What I tend to not uh, expect is Christians to attack other Christians when they do things like this. And one of the things that I noticed during that time was the absolute displeasure and hatred and animosity coming out of people who claim Christ towards this gal. It was unreal. I mean, my Facebook newsreel was just lit up with, I can't believe what she's doing. How can she be a follower of Jesus? She has not a a bone of love in her whole body and all this criticism and garbage being thrown at her by those who profess Christ. Very little support coming out of Christians for what she was doing from what I was witnessing. It was incredible. Christians were saying things like, she, it's the law of the land and, and she is a government official and if she didn't like the law of the land, then what she should have done was just quit her job and, and got out of that whole profession because that's the direction it went in. And she's, you know, as a government official, you have to uphold those laws no matter what. And it's not right for you as a government official to go against what they tell you to do. And you just can't do that. So what she should have done, if she really loved Jesus and really loved people, is she should have just quit her job. She should have just resigned. Then the stupid woman wouldn't have gone to jail. It wouldn't have made national headlines. And They said all kinds of stuff like this. The, the criticism was just... Incredible. She had no right to disobey the law of the land as a government employee. It's just wrong. You can't do that. You just got to quit. So, yeah, I have a lot of weird voices, but I'm trying to capture other people. It's not me right now speaking. It's them. So, right? Sounds like Disney. Well, you know, there's a lot of Looney Tunes out there. So, um, anyways, I don't know if that's Looney Tunes. That's Di- Popeye? Popeye. You ever heard his kids? Eat your spinach. All right. As long as it's not SpongeBob. I don't want to undermine what I'm saying with kitty voices. Um, so, so here's the question that I have. And, and, and I didn't ask it then because I, I, I wasn't in this passage. I wasn't in this text. I, I didn't make the parallel. So the question that I would ask today, and I think that that issue is still out there, but I, I'm not hearing anything about it anymore. I'm not reading anything about it. But here's the question that I would ask to Christians who have laid siege to her position in what she's done, who have attacked and criticized what Kim Davis did. Here's what I would say. What about Daniel? That's all I would say. And I think they would respond with, well, it was different with Daniel. It was a different time, it was a different era. If they even knew who Daniel is and what he went through, the response would be, well, you can't really use that as an example. That was a diff- it was a whole different scenario. It was different with Daniel. And then I would, then I would respond with this. So I, you know, I'm, now I'm answering the protagonist, or, or not the protagonist, but the antagonist. How is it different from Daniel? Are you familiar with the story of Daniel in chapter 6? Are you familiar with what played out? He was a government employee. His government was secular. His government was pluralistic, meaning they had a ton of gods. The ordinance was in opposition to the law of Daniel's God. 
Daniel chose to obey God's law rather than man's law. Isn't that what Kim Davis did? Isn't that what she did? Did she not do a Daniel in a sense? Did she not do what Daniel did in a sense? Yes, she did. She totally did. So if we follow the logic they apply to Kim Davis, then Daniel had no right to disobey the government as a government employee, and Daniel should have quit his job. He should not have done what we see in this text. The story should have ended right there with Daniel capitulating and complying with the law of the land and not going home and doing this little rebellion thing that he did. Story over. No lion's den. No reason to have a lion's den. No execution. And I suspect that with all of the outpour of animosity and anger and and just ugliness from Christians to her, I suspect that every one of those people that criticize Kim Davis would do the opposite of what Kim Davis and Daniel would do. They would capitulate, they would set aside the law of God, the honor, the glory of God to avoid suffering, to avoid criticism, to avoid persecution, whatever it is, and they would just go along with what the law of the land says, no matter how wicked and evil it is. That's exactly what they would do, isn't it? And at that point, I would question the legitimacy of their faith. I want to be a change agent in this world. Oh, great. Here's an opportunity for you to do it. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in the news headlines. Kim Davis was so utterly demonized by the mainstream media, fake news that even Christians began to criticize and despise her. Now, now, now look, man, I don't know her, so I can't tell you whether I like her or I don't. I don't know. I I, I don't know this woman. I'm not going to sit here and tell you why I fully support her at 110%. I, I do, in a sense, support what she did because I think it's parallel to what Daniel did and what we should all do. But I don't know her, so I'm not going to sit here and gush over her. I don't know her as a person. I don't know what her denomination is or her background is. I guess I have to take her word for it that she's a Christian and that she saw that man-made law as a violation of God's law and she chose to take a stand like Daniel did. That's all I've got to go with. She says she loves Jesus and guess what? People were saying she doesn't act like it. I say she did act like it. I say she did act like it. Because if you apply the logic, then Daniel wasn't a loving Jesus-following Christian because he shouldn't have done what he did. And as far as I can tell, Daniel was one of the godliest, most bold, courageous Christian men to ever live. And his three pals are just like him. Put us in the fire. Well, today, though, you've got this soft and wimpy. We've had the wussification of men in our culture, and it's impacted the church. And today, the men of God won't even take stands. They won't even take a stand because of fear. I'm so tired of it. I'm not a big tough guy or anything here, but come on. Do we not realize what has been accomplished for us by Jesus Christ? That He laid down His life for us. We ought to be willing to lay down our lives for Him. In fact, we're told to carry a cross and to die to self. 
You can't die to self if you capitulate at every turn and give in and follow the norms and customs and religion of our nation. We have to swim, we have to be, be those proverbial salmon. You've seen them where everyone's going this way and there's one guy that just doesn't seem to get it. That's us. While the lemmings are going up, we're going down. Anyone else tired of the wussiness that you see today? The wimpiness? And I'll tell you what, I, I can't stand it in our culture. I can't stand today that men aren't men. You shoot an animal, he's going to hell. Shoot an animal. I've shot tons of them. Eat the thing. When are we going to be men? But here's the thing. It really infuriates me. Not so much as when I see secular men do it, but when I see so-called men of God do it. It drives me nuts to see wimpy Christian men who don't live out Ephesians 5 and love their wives the way that Christ loves the church, who don't take a stand for righteousness in their workplace, who don't take a stand wherever they're at, who capitulate and cower and back up. That's probably going to be for me if I blow an aorta pretty quick here. He's going to stop. Are you okay? You seem angry. I am. I'm getting a little fired up, but I'm, I'm really tired of it. And I don't like it when I compromise. I don't. The Apostle Paul hated it when he did it. I know the right thing to do, but I don't do it. I know the wrong thing to do. I do that and I don't do the right thing. He got so infuriated with his own flesh at times, he actually cried out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he realized and remembered Jesus. That's the fight of the flesh, guys. That's different. I, I wonder if Daniel experienced blowback from his Jewish brethren right here. Ten bucks says he did. Some of his own brethren were probably going, what's he doing? He's a government official. He ought to just quit his job. Don't you think that probably happened with him? There were probably some that were going, yeah, stick it to the man, you know. Stick it to the man, Neosis. You've seen uh, the movie? You know what I'm talking about? What am I talking about? School of Rock. It's one of the best of all time. Gene, you've never seen School of Rock. You're dead to me. But you're alive in Christ. I, I think he probably experienced some blowback. I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced blowback from their brethren when they took a stand. Those three idiots are getting exactly what they got coming to them. Look, they're standing on the edge of the furnace and they're going to be thrown in. That's what happens. You just got to do what you, you can't do that. There's that weird voice again. <laughs> you can't do that. It's like part southerner, part gypsy, part looney tune. That's the junior high pastor coming out. Because the kids would be like, he's so funny. Then I get an email from a mother. What's wrong with the pastor? Then I get written up. What do Christians do in these situations? What do we tend to do? I, I can't just speak of Christians like there's some strange group out there. We're different in here. What do we tend to do when something like this happens to one of our brethren? You know what we do? Instead of going there and, oh my goodness, Kim Davis. Look, she's in a pile of 
blood and she's been obliterated and beaten. We come down and minister to her. We encourage her. We pray for her. We love her. You know what we do? We're the only people that shoot our wounded. Christians do it all the time. I don't get it. We do it all the time. And that's what happened. And I think that Daniel probably experienced some blowback. His buddies did before, 20 years earlier, when they went through what they did. You know they were getting some blowback in their culture. Wow. Now here's the deal. Here's where the equipping comes. Here's where the practical application of this whole text comes into play. And I think that we should all, if you claim Christ, if you're a Christian, you've tasted and seen, you love Jesus, you, you struggle. <laughs> we're not talking about perfection here. But you love Jesus. You should be determined to honor God with your life. And, and, and if, if you are determined to honor God with your life, to bring Him glory. If you want to be like Daniel, what we see in this text, better yet, if you want to be like Jesus, because Jesus is the better Daniel, and Daniel in this text points to Jesus in an extraordinary way. If you want to be like Daniel, if you want to be like Jesus, then you're going to need the two things that really stand out in this text. This is a two-point sermon. Okay, so basically everything that I just said was like the intro. But this is only two points, so it's probably going to go fairly quick. And every time I say that, I end up preaching longer. And you guys are like, he lies. Okay, so two things here. Number one, and this is, this is my read on the text. Could you draw more out of it? Of course. Could you draw a different application? Of course. But I'm looking at two things that we need if we are determined to honor God with our lives, to be like Daniel and Jesus. Number one, determination requires fortitude. What is fortitude? Guts, courage, boldness, right? I see it, I see it in verse 10a. I see it in the first half of the verse. Look at this. 10a, when Daniel knew... <laughs> Okay, let's just stop right there. Daniel knew about the ordinance. He knew about it. It wasn't like he learned about it after the fact. He knew that the document had been uh, written and had been signed by the king. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew that it was law. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And we know what follows. Daniel was fully, what we see right off the bat, he was fully aware of the ordinance. He understood its implications. He knew about the death penalty. He knew about the lion's den. And yet he was determined to petition and pray to his God despite the danger Friends, that is guts. That is fortitude. It's like he don't care. Well, I know what they just did. It ain't going to change anything. It takes guts to have an attitude like that, and not just an attitude or a belief, but to actually act upon it, because that's what he's doing. It's not just that he's resolved in his heart. He's proving it through action. That's fortitude. Daniel, another example here of fortitude is Daniel. 
did not attempt to hide his petitioning of the Lord, to hide his devotion, right? We don't see an example of him taking that underground here. He continued to enter the upper room and pray in front of the open windows that face Jerusalem. That is fortitude. That is guts. We hear about, you know, I haven't heard about it for a while, but I used to hear about it all the time. Maybe you've heard about it. Have you ever heard about, heard the phrase, the underground church, which is basically an oxymoron? You've heard of that? You've heard about the underground church in China, the underground church in North North Korea, the underground church in in maybe in Iran or Sudan and these uh, Islamic hotspots or communist hotspots, socialistic hotspots where Christianity is banned or whatever, you've heard about the underground church. And my question in response to the idea of underground church, and it is a reality today, is how can the church be the light of the world? How can it be that city on a hill if it goes underground? Do we not understand that the church is meant to be public and out in the open and to suffer whatever comes to it? The idea of the church going underground is incongruent with Scripture. There is no such thing in Scripture. Now, I will admit that at times, and you even see it in the book of Acts, when great persecution arose under Saul of Tarsus, Christians were not as vivid and public, but they were still out there. But this idea of, okay, guess what, man? They're out there. We're going to hide. We're going to go into the basement, and we're going to do that until the, the pressure ceases. How is that? How are you being the city on the hill? How are you being the light of the world? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Matthew five fourteen talks about that city on a hill and that light of the world. How can the church, if it goes underground, be a bright, shining lamp while under a bowl. Luke 11.33. These are just rhetorical questions. Entertain it. According to these passages, the church was never intended to go underground or be underground. The church is the public display of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and really big, the public display of God's kingdom, which has invaded the earth. God's kingdom is to be visible. How can it be visible if the church hides? What do we see Daniel do? Time to shut the windows. This was his ritual. This was his pattern. This was his habit. He did not modify it at all. He did not take anything underground. He was doing what he had always done while knowing that the document had been signed, while knowing what would happen to him if he were caught. And I almost feel like he was trying to get caught. I'm thinking he was probably in the windowsill. Lord, you know, it's like people, what are you doing? I would have been in the corner. Daniel may have wanted to get caught so that God could display his awesome power again and bring to shame the worldly wise and all of that. 
I think what you've got here is you've got a guy who trusted God and loved God more than his own life. I mean, the dude's 80 years old now. How many times has he been delivered by God? How many times has he been rescued at this point? 80 years of his life. He was standing on the promise, standing on the promises. There's a Bruce going to get up and start clapping. Right? He, he was standing on the fulfilled promises that he had seen in his own life. This is why he has the boldness. This is why he can stand in front of an open window and keep doing what he's always done. He's not afraid. He certainly didn't take the church at that point underground. Time to hide out until, until 31 days, or however long a month was, according to Medo-Persian calendar. So the first thing that you must have if you are determined to honor God is guts, is fortitude. There are going to be times where you're going to have to have guts, where there is something that is threatening and you're going to be faced with an opportunity to either take a stand or run and hide. And if you're determined to honor God, guess what you should do? Stand. Take whatever comes. Honor God. I think in so many ways, that's exactly what that gal in Kentucky did. And she was brutalized for it, wasn't she? Kind of a hero to me. Not everyone thinks she's an idiot. Her father in heaven certainly doesn't. You think her reward will be great? You're darn right. What are, we, what are we fighting for down on this side of glory? The rewards of men or the rewards of God? What are we doing? Fortitude. Say it. Guts. Courage. Boldness. Jesus. Phil. Just messing with me. I knew I'd get you. They're like, do you hear how it died out? It was strong all the way through, and it was, you know, like a mumble. Fortitude, number two. Here's the other thing that I see in the text in the second half of the verse. It's awesome. Determination requires defiance. Defiance. 10b, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Look, the way that you need to look at the second half of 10 is this is a direct act of defiance against that law. It is, it is also an act of obedience, but sometimes obedience to God means defiance to the other side, right? But the way that I look at it is this is Daniel thumbing his nose. This is defiance. Praying to his God three times a day was in total defiance of the Medo-Persian law, this particular ordinance. Now, I don't think he was sitting there going, nah, 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 nah. he was mature. But he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm defying, I'm going to defy that and keep doing what I'm doing. That 10B is defiance. That's the way I see it. The fact of the matter is our legislators and Courts are cranking out laws that are contrary to the law of God or the Word of God all the time. Are they not? All the time. At one point, our legislators, and this was a long time ago, used to kind of look to the Word of God 
his law for instruction and direction. And now they look to the public. What makes people happy? What keeps people chill? What keeps those tax dollars rolling in? What keeps us in office and in power? We have a government that has totally capitulated, given in. Forget about what's right, what is right with the populace. Our nation, in many ways, is like the end of the book of Judges. People just do whatever's right in their own eyes. And I tell you what the prevailing God is in our country. It's feelings. Big F. Feelings. Don't mess with people's feelings. That is the deadliest of all sins today. Is that not true? We don't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers here. We, 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 you know, people have now developed about 27 different genders because that's all about feelings. Well, I, I feel like a magpie. You're a magpie. <laughs> ah! If I say you're not a magpie, what will happen? Ah, I'll melt. I'm a snowflake. Right? My son, my poor son, he's in college now. He had to sit through. He didn't even have to. He did it for extra credit, but he sat there and laughed at the whole thing. He sat through three hours of gender. And it was, it, they were talking about all these different genders and how gender's different from this and gender's different from that. I said, praise God, I wasn't there with you because I would have embarrassed you. I'd have stood up and said, there's two male, female. I'd have been like that old redneck. There's just two of them, male and female. Take that. Well, he's got a point. That's probably not what would have happened. I mean, kill him! The stuff that, that, that legislators and people and colleges are coming up with today is insanity. Anyone seen the program on, uh, on TV or even seen a commercial for it with Katie Couric, Gender Revolution? You seen that one? Don't watch it! And it, it, you know, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a two-year-old who thinks he's a girl. A two-year-old knows how to put pizza in their mouth and fill a diaper, and somehow he senses that he's a girl. This is amazing to me. And what do parents do? Oh, he's got to be a girl. We've got to treat him that way. We don't want to hurt his little feelings. What's going on with the Boy Scouts today? You know, now they're doing the whole transgender thing. What was the video we watched last night with Ben Shapiro? He's a Jewish guy. He's just brilliant. And somebody asked, where in, in the documents and in the Constitution, uh, there's the voice again, of the Boy Scouts, does it say boys only? He says, in the title, Boy <laughs> Scouts. <laughs> She's like, yeah, but. He's like, no, but. It's insanity. They're coming up with stuff. People are coming up with stuff left and right, and they're all responding to these feelings and these things. And I'll tell you what, our legislators and, and the laws that they're passing and these things, I mean, we're just, <laughs> there's going to come a moment where you're going to find yourself standing there saying, I'm either going to uh, comply and violate God's law, or I'm going to defy and honor God's law, and I'll suffer the consequences. What did Kim Davis do? What did Daniel do? What did Jesus do? I'll get to that. 
defiance. And I also want you to notice, because the Medo-Persian law here is not the only thing that Daniel defied here. He defied something else. I see it in the text. I want you to notice, look at that 10b. You got it, you got it there? Look at that. I want you to notice what he prayed for. What does it say? Thanksgiving. You know how I read that? That's a denial of his flesh. Do you see him praying for deliverance? Do you see him praying for an overturning of that ridiculously stupid law? You see him saying, protect me and shield me. I'm just going to keep serving you and I don't want them to come get me and all that. I, I don't see him doing anything other than praying prayers of thanksgiving. How do you pray prayers of thanksgiving in a situation like this? You got to be secured in Jesus, right? Amen? Wow! And I see it as a denial of his flesh. He is denying the temptation to ask God for a way out. Deliver me. He's just praying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the ordinance. Maybe it will provide me with an opportunity to suffer and die for your glory. Wow. He denied his flesh even in his prayers. I think that's the way you could read it. And then also notice the pattern at the end of 10b. Just uh, five little words there in the ESV. It says, as he had done previously. What does that tell us? Daniel had developed spiritual disciplines and daily prayer was one of them. And I'll tell you this. I think that and I don't pray enough, but I think that it's through obviously the reading of the Word and all that and the fellowship where men and women are building each other up in Christ. That's all huge and massive. But I think that there is an emboldening, emboldenment and, and, and uh, an empowerment and an encouragement that comes when we get away and spend time praying to the Lord. I think He speaks to us, His truth over us. And, and, and I think that the more time you spend in prayer, the more fortitude you'll have and the more willing you will be to defy the stupid stuff that people are putting out there and forcing on people. And one thing's for sure, developing a discipline of prayer and spending time in prayer and doing it more consistently than not will also soften your heart towards others. Big time. <laughs> bigly Bruce's eyes Donald Trump right it will I mean if it, you know how else does this guy do what he does he's got all of this fortitude and courage I think it came to him through this constant praying all the time every day seeking the Lord and praying prayers of thanksgiving I think in all of that over and over and over he's emboldened he's strengthened he's empowered and as I said last week, when you read the text and you read down a little further, there's no complaining, no deterring or anything from him. He just goes in and gets thrown in. He doesn't say a word. That's the power of prayer. And does he utter any criticisms or anything like that up against his adversaries? None. That's the power of prayer. He was a disciplined man. And every man of God... And every woman of God needs to be 
a disciplined person and develop disciplines and spend regular time in his word, regular time in, in, in the word, and, and keep coming to church where you get built up and spend some time in fellowship. Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. If you're anything like me, you're pretty solid for a couple days after Sunday morning, but by Tuesday you're like, <laughs> you're just back to swamp creature mode, getting all ticked off at people and discouraged and mad. and <sighs> Right? Sunday you're like, oh. Monday, oh. Tuesday, <laughs> like a whole song. I mean, we need it. Look at that pattern as he had done previously. He had developed spiritual disciplines and daily prayer was one of them. And it's so important. This is where I think the willingness to defy, which is driven by guts and fortitude. And maybe you're wondering, how is this stuff connected to Jesus? What are the parallels between Daniel and Jesus here in this text? Well, I don't know if I said it last week, but I'm always looking for parallels to Jesus when I study Scripture, um, especially in the Old Testament when I preach it. And I have yet to find, I think, another chapter that I've studied anywhere in the Bible with the exception of maybe the gospel that just only talks about him. Then chapter 6, I think it just parallels to Jesus better than anything else I've studied with the exception of gospel. So here's some parallels, okay? Daniel was determined to obey the word and will of God. Highest priority, obviously. Jesus was determined to obey the word and will of God, his Father. One point during his ministry, he said, For I have not come down from heaven to do... Or he says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. There's even a denial of his own flesh, if you will, his own earthly flesh. John 6, 38, Jesus, the Lord Jesus literally said, I came down here to do His will. He, everything that He did was in, in, in accordance with God's will. He was fulfilling the plan that had been wrought by the Father, put together by the Father in eternity past. He, he didn't come down just to do whatever He wanted to do. He came to execute the will of God with precision and vigor and strength and compassion, and love, and mercy. So there's a determination connection between the two. Daniel was determined to obey. Jesus was determined to obey. So much more. Secondly, Daniel had fortitude. <laughs> right? There's guts all over this text. When you think of Jesus, does fortitude come to mind or mercy, love, compassion, healing. Those are all great things. But is fortitude something that pops into our mind when we ponder Jesus? And I say this, you, you shouldn't be responding to what I've been preaching this whole time, but I have to be honest, I'm not sure that fortitude just pops into mind when I think of Jesus. Guts or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus had fortitude, gobs of it. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say, there's never been a man braver than Jesus. Never. He touched and healed lepers. You know what people did with lepers back then? That's your colony. Get out of my face. Don't come over here. 
Whenever they moved around in public, they had to carry a sign that said unclean. And people avoided them like the plague. Jesus touched. That's how leprosy is transmitted through touch. And He touched lepers and He healed lepers, fortitude, guts. He faced down demons, an entire legion of them after He crossed the Galilee and went into the Gadarene region. I don't know about you, if I come across a demon, I'm probably heading for the hills. Jesus deals with them decisively, boldly. He commands them fortitude. Jesus rebuked and exposed false teachers and religious hypocrites. In fact, if you study his ministry, his three and a half years of ministry, the only people that he really took a stand against and rebuked and, and, and got into a thing with were the religious leaders who were hypocrites. He didn't go around beating up the Zacchaeuses of the world. He went around and boldly stood against the hypocrisy. You know, those religious people, and we've all known some of them and one of them, and we've been that person at times where you're, you know, completely religious on the outside, but on the inside you're dead as heck. You know, we play church at times, and we're filled with lies and dishonesty, but on the outside, hi, I love Jesus, right? On the inside, ah. There's that weird creature again. Harry likes the creature. Do the creature more. Do the roar. Remember that? He, he had fortitude and he stood right there in, in front of the highest religious leaders, even Caiaphas the high priest, and stood his ground. And sometimes he didn't even speak. You don't have to run your mouth to have fortitude. You can just stand and be quiet. What did he do to that storm when he was sleeping in the stern and there were seven to eight foot rollers out there and all the disciples were going, we're going to die! Wake up, Jesus! He gets up, silence! Goes back to bed. Fortitude to stand up against a monsoon. He stood before his accusers, did he not? You know, it's not easy to stand in front of people who are accusing you, especially these types who were basically beating him up and everything too. He endured torture, fortitude. He carried the cross of our shame as far as he could. He was so badly beaten. Somebody had to come in. Simon had to, a guy named Simon, I believe, had to come in and carry it up the rest of the hill for him. But he certainly carried the cross of our shame as far as he could. He was so badly battered, none of us could have even got as far as he did. That's fortitude to take that cross, to carry. That's like you've seen in the movies when people dig their own holes. You know, on the battlefield, then they get shot and they fall in the hole they just dug. Carrying the cross is like that. I'm going to carry this up there so I can get nailed to it and die. I'm like, you carry it, Roman. He carried the cross of our shame. Fortitude. He laid down his life so that we could be forgiven and saved. Laying down your life. Fortitude. And today, even today, as I speak, He is seated at the right hand of the Father where He boldly defends us and opposes our accuser. He defends our identity as His people. Fortitude. There's never been a braver man in history than Jesus. 
Daniel, another example here, and we're wrapping it up. Daniel defied a man-made ordinance that went against the law of God, and he defied his flesh. We saw that in his prayer. Jesus, you may not realize this, but Jesus defied man-made ordinances that went against the law of God, and he defied his flesh. Totally. On multiple occasions, the Pharisees and the scribes accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking what? The traditions of the elders, man-made ordinances. You know, not washing your hands before you eat, plucking, you know, uh, heads of corn on the Sabbath, you know, trying to feed your men because they're hungry. Heaven forbid, you know, you can't pluck grain and do that's labor on the Sabbath. These are the things that they tried to catch him on. And guess what? Some of these things are in Scripture on taking a break on the Sabbath and all this stuff, but these guys had taken all of that stuff to a whole other level. They got it to where they couldn't even look at someone on the Sabbath. I just looked at Carl, that's work, I just broke the Sabbath. Man-made ordinances, Jesus paid them no mind. Broke them all the time. I didn't, he wasn't going out there deliberately doing it. He was just living and ministering and loving people and totally obeying the Mosaic law. And at the same time, some of these man-made things were getting destroyed. And his accusers watched him do it and accused him of doing it and hated him for doing it. But as I said, these traditions were not congruent with Mosaic law. Jesus not only defied these man-made legalistic traditions he also exposed them and rebuked those who propagated them. How did Jesus defy his own flesh? That's an example of him defying man-made laws, as Daniel did. How did he defy his own flesh? Do you remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? He knew his time had come. He knew his enemies were on their way. He knew he was about to be tried. He knew he was about to be tortured. He knew he was about to be executed. He knew that he was about to become sin and be forsaken by the Father. What did he pray? What words did he speak upward to God while those beads of sweat and blood dropped from his brow. What did he pray? He prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. That's an example of human weakness. And then he says this, and this is where he denies his weakness in his flesh. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That, my friends is the greatest act of defiance against the flesh in the history of the world. Because if he capitulates and satisfies the flesh, we don't get saved. It's over. And he did it. Closing the fruit of Jesus' determination what comes forth, what came forth from his determination, what his determination produced, the fruit of it is our salvation.
That is what His determination led to, our salvation. And within this great and grand salvation, there is total and absolute forgiveness of sin. There is deliverance from God's justice and wrath. There is reconciliation to the Father. You want to see genderism die? Do you want to, the, the, the idea of transgenderism and these things, do you want to see that go away? The only way for it to happen is for people to become reconciled to their maker through the Son. And in doing so, they gain the identity they're searching for. Can I get an amen? This grand salvation, within it is reconciliation. There is sonship. There is endless, endless mercy. Scripture says there are mercies new for us each day. There is unspeakable joy. There is heaven. There is the kingdom of God. And there is so much more, more than I could ever list in a hundred sermons. As we enter communion, may we ponder these things. May we ponder the work of Christ on our behalf and confess our sins and receive fresh mercy from the Father who loves, who loves to bless His children. Remember what the bread and juice represent. They represent Jesus' determination in our salvation. Amen.